0: hello internet and welcome to the first 2023 episode of steam cleaners uh, this is a very fun podcast that my co-host and i do in which we talk about two games that we have played games that most of the time neither of us have talked about previously on the podcast and of course when i talk about my lovely co-host i am referring to walter c fed chuck walter how you doing buddy
1: I am doing very well. Here we are in uh in 2023. Had a very good holiday with my family, um, despite having to work both weekends of the the holiday, Christmas weekend and uh, New Year's weekend. Um but you know what? We we power through and uh I get to spend a couple hours recording every few weeks with you. And I think that's a great way to start the year, is with a couple of good podcasts uh, and some good time with friends and family.
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, the corporate structure may try to put us down, but uh, the people that we care about are always going to win that battle, as far as I'm concerned. You know, we didn't talk about it on the Final Cut podcast that we recently recorded that Y'all should totally go listen to if you haven't yet. We talked about Glass Onion, which was a very fun film. But, Walter, do you have a favorite gift that you got this holiday season?
1: Oh, my lord. Um, Yeah, so I... This is my favorite gift, but I, I got a brand new microphone that you are listening to me right now, uh, which already is picking up way less uh, background noise. So it's going to mean hopefully a little bit less editing for me. Uh, but no, the the actual favorite gift that I opened was um, the first weekend of March, uh, the Syracuse men's basketball team is retire is retiring celebrating um the 20th anniversary of the Syracuse University men's basketball program's only national championship uh the the team that had Carmelo Anthony and Hakeem Work and Jerry McNamara and when I saw that that was posted I immediately like texted my mom and was like hey this would be a great great Christmas gift. You know, if you were looking for anything, and my mom was like, Oh, I don't know. Maybe Santa will be nice to you. And uh, <laughs> obviously I, I got tickets and I got much, much better tickets than I, than I was really um, kind of hoping or, or expecting. And uh, when I opened it, my partner will actually be out of town, but she doesn't like basketball anyways. So I immediately looked at my dad and after a little bit of cajoling, I, I convinced him to go with me. Um, because that was sort of one of our things was, you know, watching college basketball together. Um, I still remember in 2009, the uh, big East men's big East basketball tournament that was happening as MSG. I had had musical practice and came home and we were going to watch the game off of TiVo and uh, off a DVR. And we caught up and this is the infamous six overtime game um, that was played. So we actually caught up to the live broadcast and, um, it'll be very special. It'll be very fun to be able to kind of go and share that memory with my dad. Uh, someone who has pretty much, over the last 10 years, basically refused to go to any live professional sporting event um, because it's more comfortable to watch at home on his couch.
0: <laughs> what well, about that's you? That's awesome. Uh, so, my favorite gift, and it's not. Best is a strong word, because this game is terrible, but I have found, thanks to my sister, the worst board game I have ever played in my life, and I had an absolute blast playing it. Uh, Do you remember the Spongebob episode Sailor Mouth? Uh, Specifically, the board game from that Eels and Escalators?
1: Uh, Yes, I actually do.
0: (laughs) Yes, it's the one where Spongebob learns how to curse, and it turns out the curses in the Spongebob universe are dolphin noises. Well, Walter, I got a question for you here. What year do you think the Eels and Escalators board game, licensed by Nickelodeon, uh, was released?
1: Uh, 2011.
0: 2021. (laughs)
1: Fantastic.
0: (laughs) By two con artists who previously were infamous for... Uh, ripping off a bunch of Kickstarter backers for another game that they had, were meant to develop and then just kind of didn't. Um, the Eels and Escalators game has a 1.7 out of 10 on Board game Geek. It is one of the worst written rule books that I have ever experienced as far as board games go. It is very clear that they had an idea for what the game was going to be but just didn't communicate that with whoever was in charge of writing the actual cards that were to determine actions so none of it makes any fucking sense there's so much stuff that like only makes sense if you target another player with it but you can't because there are technically other cards that specifically mention targeting another player so i guess they were meant to be played on yourself but that never there's no opportunity in which that would be positive to you So you would think well maybe it's something you have to do but no because there are cards that say play instantly and those aren't them and also you have a maximum hand size of 10 so like none of it works like just on a fundamental level this game is trash and i had an absolute blast playing with my sister and her partner who just got engaged over the holiday which was fantastic Um, We regularly joked about how this game had trapped us in it and how it was never going to end. We were all rooting for somebody to win the game just so it would come to a conclusion. And as someone who likes bad films, I've never had that experience with a board game before. And Nickelodeon's Eels and Escalators absolutely hit that mark for me. Just an absolutely atrocious game start to finish uh, that I had an absolute blast with. So...
1: Chase, Um, why didn't they just make it a Spongebob licensed shoots and ladders game?
0: Well, so you can technically play it that way if you want to include, uh, if you want to ignore, I should say, every other gameplay element that they add. And maybe that's the best way to do it. We added a couple of house rules that kind of made sense, but didn't really make sense. And they list a whole bunch of variants that don't really make sense. Um, because there are cards in the game that make them either impossible to finish under those new rules or just completely trivial to finish under those rules, there's a lot to unpack with that. Um, but it all comes down to uh, no one took the time to just play test it, to just see how the rules as written would interact with the reality of the experience. So if you are a board game aficionado or just a game designer who wants to learn what not to do, I highly recommend Eels and Escalators. It is a fucking disaster. Uh, and I couldn't be happier than my sister got it for me. It was an absolute blast uh, just tearing into a terrible, terrible game. But Walter, this is not a podcast in which we discuss terrible, terrible board games or the highlights of the Syracuse men's basketball team. Uh, this is a video gaming podcast. And I would love to hear what game have you been playing recently, buddy? So as I kind of said earlier, um,
1: unfortunately, I had a very busy last couple of weeks um, because I, I work for, let's call it a utility company. at Chase, this utility company happens to cover all of New York State. And I don't know if you know what happened the weekend and the week prior to Christmas in, I don't know, let's say Buffalo, New York. Um, But we had a really bad two weeks at at this utility company. And as of today, uh, which now it is hit midnight and we are now uh, at, you know, the morning of New Year's Eve here on the East Coast. Um, It's been a really stressful, busy two weeks sort of dealing with a storm, cleaning up from the storm and kind of going from there. So unfortunately I did not have, and you know, obviously then the holiday itself celebrating Christmas with my family, you know, it it takes some time. So I did not have a ton of time to play anything, really pick anything out, but I had seen through the Epic games, you know, holiday free games, a little, a little thing that caught my eye and it is Lego builders journey. Now, I'm going to just be very kind of upfront with everyone at home and, and with you. This might be pretty a pretty short section for myself because this game only took me two and a half hours to get all the achievements on Steam. Um, there is a sandbox mode that does allow you to play with the Legos and kind of build your own things or whatnot um, that I explored a little, but at the end of the day, didn't really dive into all that much. Last year, I played a game called Cloudy Gardens that was like a diorama growing plants type thing. And this is very, and you know, puzzler. And this is sort of very similar to that in that it is very kind of diorama-esque, these very, very small, uh, very, you know, isometric um, levels. And your entire goal is to move your little Lego person, which is not a minifigure. It's not a minifigure. It's a Lego person. It's they took like two of the little square blocks and then one of the little round blocks and put it on top and then gave him like a little triangle like hat type thing. Like it's a Lego person, a person made out of Lego blocks. And the kind of summary goal of each level is to move the person from one side of the level to a point on the other side of the level. And you do this by... Um, using bricks and building them a path across and then directing them with a special little yellow brick that just has one little circle on it so that they can hop from you know from from piece to piece to piece to piece um it is isometric it is it is a puzzle game and it is fucking adorable despite the fact that the characters are literally made out of Legos and have very little outward emotions or acting or dialogue. There's literally no dialogue, but there, there's very little in terms of, like, actionable intent outside of some, some movements that they make that kind of will show you, like, whether they're kind of happy or they're sad or they're frustrated or, or things like that.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I do like these kinds of kind of creative puzzle games. I, I think that the idea of using Lego in these kinds of ingenious directions to try to solve these uh, larger scenarios uh, is, uh, is one that's very tactile and very, like, gets to the heart of, I guess, why Legos have persisted as long as they are. What about this game kept you engaged? Because I think with Legos, you often you build the thing that you want to build, or you you know can kind of cross a puzzle off your list, uh, but then it's kind of done. Um, and I, I think the satisfaction comes in showing it off to people or having it around the house and whatnot. And obviously, you're not able to do that bit when it's a virtual collection, so. What do you think is like the main satisfying bit that keeps you going from the start to the end of this game? So there, there is a story to this. There is a
1: very kind of straightforward story talking about you know what I'm going to assume is a is a parent or an elderly figure, you know, an older figure and a younger figure, and sort of their their they're on like vacation or on a camping trip or something like that. There's just this like trip that's going on and there's enough interesting things that goes on in the story that you're kind of like, hey, like where's, like it's weird. There's like a weirdness to this that it's sort of like, well, what's going to happen next? Like, well, I gotta, I gotta find out what's going to happen next. Um, It starts with with you and with the younger one and the older one and they're climbing a mountain or or hiking basically and you're kind of, pushing them through the paths and there are a couple little moments where you have to like weigh a spot down with one of them so that the other one can go up and then once they go up then they can you can grab more pieces from up there to then build a bridge for the other one to come up there is some sort of z axis manipulation there and then they get to uh, a cabin um and you know they they are building some things and then you hear this like alarm going off and there is this like platform that moves its way towards you and the older one hops onto it and they get pulled back to this tower and there are these panels that are that are like pulled up and there's these spots missing in the middle of them and you have to put pieces in the middle of them to, to make it all uniform and then the panel slides down goes back down into you know down to the bottom of the tower and it happens like once or twice you clear it the alarm goes off you get propelled back to the cabin where you started. And this happens a couple of times. And then finally it like stays with you at the cabin with the younger one. And the younger one finishes building what they're building and waits a little bit and then goes back inside the cabin. Um, and then they end up downstairs in the basement. And then you build a robot out of Legos. Mm. And then the robot breaks through the wall, Kool-Aid man style. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you have some levels where you're not just building like a bridge and moving a block so that you climb it. Now you're building um, like a skateboard path using the flat bricks, the bricks that don't have um, any of the like pegs on the top of it to place an additional brick. So you do that for some pathing and then you get to another puzzle thing and then eventually um, you find a larger robot and then you go inside the larger robot and then you do some levels inside this larger robot and then you break it. And then not only do you break the robot, but apparently you have now broken something majorly wrong with the tower. So now the bigger one has to go down to the bottom of the tower to like investigate what's going on. And there is something that's very dystopian about all of this. Like there's no other beings, there's no other Lego people. And the Lego and like you're using Legos to build all of these things and you're using Legos to like build these factory contraptions and fix these mechanical things that are going on. And there's something very kind of dystopian and, and semi unsettling about it that you are this, you know, young person that is sort of traversing this world. It almost reminds me of like a limbo or inside um, where instead of it being just like black and shadows and you don't really know what else is going on it's just all lego but there's no other explanation of what's going on what is this robot that you built what is the point of it what is the point of the robot this you know large one that you 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 know go inside of what is the purpose of this factory none of those things ever really get answered because at the end of the day that's not the point the point of the game is you know is the journey is the journey of of the two of them you know, finding each other, fixing, you know, whatever's wrong so that the alarm finally stops going off, which inadvertently is because you've broken the factory beyond repair. Um, And then going back to your cabin, finishing building what they were building before the older one gets, uh, the larger one gets, you know, pulled away. And and then it hits credits. And the music is fantastic. It's very... um, atmospheric and relaxing and, and you kind of just go from level to level to level and just sort of enjoy this story and kind of make it up as you go along. You know, I say it's a, of, you know, a uh, I would say a parent and their child or, um, maybe an aunt or uncle and then, you know, but, but an elder and, you know, a younger person. But that's how I interpret it. Maybe someone else would interpret it as like it's two friends and they just, you know, they have to differentiate from each other. So one's bigger, one's smaller. Maybe it's, you know, a brother or, you know, a sibling relationship, any of those types of things. And that's kind of what Lego is like all about is like, yeah, you have the version where it's the Will Ferrell in the Lego movie version. And 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 personally, how I like Lego is I buy a Lego set. I build it. I, you know, take some time to do it. And then I put it on a shelf and I'm happy to show it off. And then there's the version that I would say most kids are, is that they just like build wacky and wild crap. And I I, I don't even want to say crap. They build wacky and wild stuff because that's mm-hmm. what their brain wanted to build. They wanted to build a, 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 a flying machine, but they wanted to use sails from their pirate Lego set. But they also want to use the engine pieces from the you know, the the Death Star from the uh, Imperial Star Destroyer, and they put all these things together, and then they play with all these different creations that they have. And then, you know, a few days later, they break it all apart because they're done with that and they want to build something else. And this does a very good job in a very short period of time of kind of doing that, even though it's guided, even though it's... I, railroad in a way because it's telling a story or or giving you the pieces to tell a story in your own head it is very much that like how do i get them from here to here well i can you know i have this many blocks and i can build it this way or i can build it this way or i can do it this way and you're playing inside of these spaces that while they've been pre-created for you Anyone easily could have created them. There's nothing so intricate or ridiculously phenomenal about it that, you know, like a five-year-old couldn't have put together one of these little rooms and said, okay, the point is to get from point A to point B, and here are the six blocks you can use. Go for it.
0: You know, it's fascinating to hear that explanation because I, I'm on the Nintendo Switch page right now. as Because always when we talk about these games, I, I think both of us try to get like a very baseline understanding of the games the other person has played and the narrative that clearly resonated so much with you is very de-emphasized like it's described as an atmospheric game and there is a mention of a narrative that asks you to sometimes follow instructions and sometimes break the rules but it's a sentence in an overall description of what this game is with much more of a focus on the kind of creative elements of it um with the idea of how these different um like the ability to kind of just stop back in this creative mode and build whatever it is you want to build from these different models and different themes and whatnot so it's kind of interesting how the game sells itself versus what grabbed you uh, and I'm really glad you brought up the Lego movie because when you're describing the tower like, that was the thing that came to mind for me, was, like, the parent who has to go into work, you know? the They can't be there all the time to continue building this cool thing with their kid because they have to, you know, keep a job going. and And the tower being this kind of more professional kind of place that takes you away from the fun and the creativity that then has to be kind of circumvented and and broken to a certain extent that all sounds really interesting uh do you think it all comes together like do you think that at the end of the day the story and the atmosphere that are built lives up to that ambition
1: i think for me it did because it kept me interested for that period of time um I I played it in two sessions. The first session I probably played close to two hours, and the second session I I didn't realize it was going to end so quickly, and and you know spend another half hour forty five minutes on it. Um, I did not explore the like super creative mode at all because that wasn't really like why I was playing it. If I wanted just to like build Legos, I have two Lego sets that I've gotten for that I got for Christmas that I can build instead, and I just wanted to see like what was this game about, and yeah like the atmosphere, the music the just the tactileness of like picking up a block and moving a block and put it, moving another block and it it clicks it goes, you have to like hold the mouse button down to place the block where you want to, or you just drop it like you just release it, and I will say the the controls are like they're not amazing, they're a little finicky, there's some later levels where you have these like spinny things that you have to do and some of the levels you have to be really precise with it and some of the levels you're just like spinning it because you're just going you know you're just moving uh, an elevator all the way up to the top um it's a little sticky it's a little finicky and uh, that part of it i really didn't like it was kind of like this is this isn't how i play with legos but i understand that the purpose of this is supposed to be like Yeah, you beat the game like, okay, cool. Now go play with the Legos in a creative mode. I totally understand. That's what the point. This is probably great for parents to have on their phones for their kids when they're waiting in a doctor's office or or waiting to pick up groceries or just while they're in the car. Like, I totally understand all of that. Um, my big problem here is you you go, Okay, was it worth it? Well, here's the issue. Um, the game when it's not on sale, which by the time this comes out, it probably is not going to be on sale, is twenty bucks on Steam. It sure is. I don't know if it's worth twenty bucks. Like I said, I I got it for free because the Epic Game Store um, had it as one of their you know daily free games for for the holiday season here. Right now, it's on Steam. It's sixty six percent off. It's six dollars and seventy nine cents. I'd say for like seven eight bucks, yeah probably worth it especially if you're gonna like really play around with sort of the creative mode stuff um but you know for what i needed i needed something just to like relax with in the middle of what's been pretty you know uh pretty rough um couple of weeks not just because of work but because some personal stuff that's going on like it was nice it was nice to like play with legos um even if it was kind of in a virtual setting and it wasn't the silly, you know, over-the-top license, you know, Lego Star Wars type games. And, you know, when they they talk about it, I'm I'm taking this right from the Wikipedia page, basically they're saying that it was heavily inspired by the AFOL community, which is the, you know, adult fans of Legos. This is supposed to kind of be more for adults in a way. And I think that makes sense. Like right now with Legos, as much as like, I kind of like the star Wars Lego sets. One of the ones I got was like a diorama. You know, I have some people that I follow on Twitter that have gotten like the cityscape ones, or there's someone right now that's building the Eiffel tower. And like now that I'm older, those more kind of appeal to me. I really want the star destroyer set, not because I want to play you know, would take my X-Wing and fly it at the Star Destroyer, but, like, I want to fucking build the Star Destroyer and put it on a shelf and be like, yeah, isn't that pretty fucking sweet? (laughs) That's probably more F-bombs than have ever been included in a discussion about Legos, but, (laughs) yeah, like, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Not worth $20, unfortunately. I'm sorry to the developers, but, like, god damn, that's a hefty price tag for that. But if you, if you happen to get it on sale for the Steam uh winter sale or you wait for the spring sale or or for some time for it to go on sale i definitely think it's worth you know 7 8 maybe maybe like 999 is probably the most that i'd pay for it but yeah it was it was fun controls were a little janky at times but it was it was a fun enjoyable atmospheric game that just kind of helped me relax it was like smoking a nice bowl just <laughs> <sighs>
0: But oh, Chase,
1: man. yeah, you, you, you've been a little bit of a jet setter over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> flying <laughs> to Colorado and not flying home, and then flying home. Yeah, what? thanks what is-
0: Southwest. Really appreciate everything <laughs> oh you're god, doing I'm right
1: Southwest. now.
0: Southwest. Oh god, oh, it's even man. worse. <laughs> what a nightmare! What an absolute <laughs> fucking nightmare. Uh, oh but what goodness. did you play? <laughs> yeah, so I. I was looking on my computer uh, to find some games that would run on the Mac. Now, you might be wondering, Chase, you have a Nintendo Switch. Why did you have to look for games that were available on the Mac in order to find something that was uh, possible for you to play while traveling? And I'll tell you the answer. My parents' TV at their place is slow. I don't know what it is that causes this issue. But I, I've played Super Mega Baseball. I talked about that in the very first episode of this podcast. And it completely throws off my timing to be on their TV versus my TV here in the apartment that is a nicer TV than the ones my parents have in the basement where uh, I can set up my Switch. I, I don't know what it is. There's just a certain level of lag involved and a delay in terms of how it processes that kind of video gaming Um technology that absolutely turns me off i i never feel a hundred percent comfortable with games that rely on reflexes uh, or whatnot and so i wanted to find something that i could play on my work laptop something that that would be available to me uh, while i was traveling and that i could play on a plane that i didn't have to worry about the difference between handheld and console play because ultimately I like playing games on the TV, or I like playing games on my computer. I don't play a ton of handheld stuff. It's just not the gameplay pattern that I grew up with. So I was looking at that list, and I found a game that should be up my alley across the board. Uh, it is a game called Stacklands. Uh, and Stacklands came out pretty recently, if I remember correctly. Uh, I believe it came out in, yeah, 20, uh It came out in 2022. It was was a much more modern game. Uh, It is a card game, and you know how much I love card games, both you, Walter, and you listening to the podcast from home, having uh, heard all of my uh, many rants on various card games over the past year of the Steam Cleaners podcast. And so I was like, you know what? Let's give it a shot. Let's see how this game stacks up, so to speak, ...with other card games that I have been playing over the last year. And it's a really interesting one. I struggled with this at the opening. There was a moment, about a couple hours in, where I'm like... ...I'm not sure if this is clicking with me. I'm not sure if this is the game I want it to be. But I kept pushing through... ...and I kept trying to better understand how this game clicks... And ultimately, I found myself really enjoying it, uh, despite my initial trepidation with how Stacklands operates.
1: So, what hung you up then at the beginning? What? Obviously, I can understand the like, hey, you wanted something that's kind of quick and easy, and I get the not using your Switch necessarily as a handheld. But as a card game what took you, what stood in the way of you kind of understanding it from the first go?
0: Well, the first thing to know about Stacklands is that it's not a card game. It's ultimately not at all a card game. It is a game that uses cards as a way of communicating information. But it is not a card game. There is not like a hand that you are dealt in which you are trying to use certain resources in order to accomplish a task the way that so many other card games operate. This is a game that is ultimately a resource management game that uses cards as the vehicle to navigate the system. So for example, you have villagers. These are your main units that can be customized later as you unlock certain items, but at the beginning they're just people that can be put on locations. And those locations give you resources. And you can sell those resources for gold so that you could unlock more resources. Or you can use those resources and craft them into other, more valuable resources. Like, for example, the basics are stone and wood. And if you want to get more stone and more wood without having to constantly sell the little scraps that you have in order to get the packs of cards that you unlock, quote-unquote packs... Uh, that ultimately give you these kind of temporary resources for these goods, you need to craft a more permanent location that will allow you to continually gain access to these resources without having to spend more money. In other words, you are creating an engine that ultimately fuels itself. You are taking what begins is like here's a tree that you can get wood from and here's a rock where you can get stone from and you're using that to bed a lumber a lumber yard or you're building it to build A Quarry that then gives you an unlimited amount of those resources that you can then use your villagers on which once you get a second villager You can build a house and you can put two villagers together and they'll go make a baby and then the baby will be able to Eventually grow up into a fully fledged villager of their own and start contributing to all these different elements of what you're trying to build It is a game that takes a little bit to figure out how it operates. Because when you start, a lot of the information that you need in order to build a system is hidden from you. And it feels like a game in which you have to restart in order to get the right actions done, right? To understand now that you have this new information, these quote-unquote ideas that are proposed to you that basically tell you the recipes on how to build certain things, once you have those, you kind of want to reset and start from scratch with that information, all of which is saved for you across all of the runs that you do, to be more efficient in what you're trying to build, to be more effective in what you're trying to push forward on. And so it took me a bit because it takes a while to unlock the things that are helpful to you, to unlock the recipes that give you for example, how do you build that quarry? The game doesn't tell you that it's three rock and a wood and a villager that's willing to build it. You have to unlock that ability by getting a card that gives you the idea, or you can go look it up, which eventually I found that this was a game that I really needed to use the wiki for if I didn't want to wait for the game to tell me what it was I was supposed to be doing. And for anyone that's interested in Stacklands, I would highly recommend there is a very extensive uh, fandom wiki for Stacklands that will describe every resource you need to use, uh, every sort of item or building that is necessary in order to push things forward. It's an incredibly helpful resource, and it means that you're not stuck waiting for the game to unlock the idea that tells you what it is you should have been doing all along. And that was where my frustration came in, is because the first few runs I did, I felt like I was doing the right things. I was pushing forward on the right goals. But because I didn't have the information on how to best use that, I would hit a stalling point, And I would find that I was scavenging for resources to then sell, to unlock the next pack, to hopefully get the idea that would then explain to me ...how I can more efficiently use those resources. But at one point, Walter, it finally clicked. I understood what the game wanted from me. I understood how these pieces came together. And what started as a game in which I felt like any minor setback I had... ...was something that I would have to completely restart to overcome became much more of a puzzle game in which it was all about how these different interlocking pieces can be built towards a greater whole. And suddenly my life became a lot easier.
1: So it's more about guessing and checking to see how each of the different pieces interact to then help you unlock the next tech tier essentially, or the next resource that you need. And then as you continue to sort of experiment and figure out what works with what that then helps you push forward with the game and ultimately move towards what kind of objective.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I'll, I'll give you a great early example of something that the game doesn't explain right away, but ended up being a game changer for me because I have OCD. I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times. I I have a way I try to organize certain things in order to make it make sense to me. And one of the early things that really fucked with me and that was a constant source of frustration were the animals that you can unlock. You can get cows, you can get chickens, you can get uh, rabbits, you know, these animals that could give you resources passively over time. Um, You could just kill them in order to get meat or whatever they would drop right away. Sometimes you get bones or whatnot that could be fashioned into very specific types of weapons once you unlock the idea of how to use those. They weren't necessarily natural recipes, so to speak. But they're animals. So they just kind of hop all over the place. And if they hopped into one of the kind of lines that you had built... Uh, of these cards, like, for example, um, the line of apples that I had as my kind of main food source, it would shift everything. Though They would bump around all of the things that I had set up, and I was constantly having to adjust and pause and drag the rabbit away or drag the cow away so that it would stop fucking with the thing that I was building. I found this very frustrating. But it turns out, Walter, there's a very easy answer. It's called an animal pen. And you can build it, and you can put five animals in there, and they won't be jumping around all over the place. And suddenly, my systems could be trusted to be in the same location I put them in without constantly having to micromanage where the hell these animals were going. And that sounds like a small thing, right? Like It doesn't ultimately stop the engine that I was building, right? the animals bumping around could easily be dragged away. Um, And even if they weren't dragged away, all they were doing was moving around the cards where I had them. There wasn't a, like, them sabotaging the system, for instance, making a quarry unusable or something like that. But these are the kinds of annoyances that eat away at you when you are playing it originally. When you're trying to better understand how these different pieces play with each other. It's hard to recognize how these elements can be better maintained and better controlled for a more satisfying experience until you learn how the game wants you to think. And the only way you can do that is by either buying enough packs to eventually get the ideas that you need, in order for the game to tell you the recipe so that you can go build the thing that you've wanted for hours, or you could go look it up. And I think that that is probably the thing that holds Stacklands back for me from being the full-throated recommendation I would like to give a game that is ultimately a pretty tight management resource uh, simulator. This idea of going to a place, finding these different ways of maintaining consistent resources so that you can build up a larger town that can do all these different things and ultimately push back against the many threats that come at you. Because something I haven't mentioned yet, Walter, is that there's combat in this game. Uh, there, are, You can upgrade your villagers to get certain weapons and item types like helmets and shields so that they can go into combat and potentially get resources. And it's not necessarily optional, because if you don't go through the strange portals that come out every 6 to 12 levels, well, congratulations, those portals will come to you. And those enemies are not nearly as patient as your animals. They won't just fuck with the systems that you have. They will try to kill your villagers, which is the only way you can truly lose a run of this game. I never lost a run of stacklands. I always gave up before that happened, but there were several times in which I sent them out for battle, had not built up the equipment necessary for them to win that battle, uh, usually because I had focused all on one type of unit, like all ranged units, for instance, and then run into a group of magical units that just destroyed me. And I just didn't want to build from ground zero all over again and just wait for the game to give me a second villager so I could rebuild. Um, There's there's just these interlacing pieces that when you understand them are very satisfying. But man, does the game make you work for that understanding.
1: And does that work make it Worthwhile, or does it come across as just annoying, busy work, unnecessary?
0: I think it's going to depend on the kind of player that you are, and that's why I kind of wanted to outline that point as much as I did. Because if you're me, if you're someone like me who wants to be able to have the answers to the problems that come up, you're going to find yourself frustrated by the pace at which the game gives you those answers. You're going to find yourself going to the Stacklands wiki and trying to figure out if there is a way to get around this problem. Or, for example, a very basic example. You get iron ore. Okay, how do I use that iron ore? The game doesn't tell you what a smelter is until you unlock that idea. And so you could go hours of playing through these simulations without knowing how to refine your iron ore into iron bars that are the core of so many of the advanced buildings and higher level weapons that you need to build. And the smithy that is used to build those higher level weapons is also not immediately available to you, and if you don't know to look for it, you won't understand why Even if you look up the recipes online as to how to build certain things, they won't build for you automatically, because you don't have the building in which that happens. So if you're the kind of person that wants to be optimal, who thinks the fun of card games and resource management games is about using all of the tools available and maximizing your efficiency with those tools, you're gonna have a frustrating time, at least for the first half Of your gameplay experience. But if you are the kind of person that doesn't mind failing as long as you gain some level of experience that finds the challenge of those walls you run into as something to push you forward and ask the question, well, how do I use the things that I learned to do better next time? I think you'll have a good time with it. I don't think it will bug that kind of person. I don't think that those people will mind that they will get ideas that require a resource that you don't even get to until you've already beaten the quote-unquote boss of the game. Like, there's a whole mechanic in which you have to build a cathedral and you bring a goblet that you were able to get from an adventure and you have to kill the literal devil. And that's when part two of the game Begins and you realize that some of these recipes that required a resource like glass that you could not find no matter what you did You can finally find on the secondary island that you unlock If that's the kind of thing that frustrates you Stacklands is gonna frustrate you if you're the kind of person who says oh, now I see how this all comes together and it's super satisfying now that I have that information to put these things together and do the thing that all comes together into this really interesting whole, you're going to have a great time. Stacklands, to me, is one of the more divisive design philosophies that I've experienced, and I argue with myself on whether or not it is ultimately worth the frustration that I felt with it which I guess I can only answer with, I'm 20 hours in right now, and I've got all of the achievements but eight, and right now, as we are doing this podcast, I have wiki pages open for all of the things I haven't figured out how to do on my own yet because I want to cross them all off, because I do want to do these quests, because I do find them interesting. They, there's a lot of good at the core of this game, and once the pieces come together, it is a very satisfying resource management experience. but it's not a card game because card games explain to you what the rules are, how they fit into the larger game that you are playing, and how you know the and, and make the challenge of it how you maximize your efficiency with what you have. This is not that. This is a game in which you have a basic level of resources and you have to learn how to upgrade those resources into better resources. And you have to learn how to take those better resources and build buildings that the game won't tell you how to build right away. By experimenting and by using outside resources, you can create a system that when it finally starts to run, can feel really satisfying and I don't know how to qualify a game like that. It's just it really is a game that my recommendation is going to change dramatically based on the kind of player that you are.
1: I just you you saying that like oh yeah, it's guess and check and exploration. Like my brain is like twitching right now because that I would find so incredibly frustrating. <laughs> in a way that's like it would be fun, I, you know, I think of, like, Monster Prom or, or Max Gentleman, and we've discussed this before, like, I'm okay at the beginning learning how to play the game and going through the tutorial and, like, experimenting with everything, but I'm not, like, a 100% completionist type person. I don't need to get all the the achievements and if i was playing a game and i happen to notice like if i happen to notice it in builder's journey like oh i was missing one achievement screw it i might go hunt it just because then i got the one achievement i can say bing bang boom i 100% of the game there's very little for me to go back to so on and so forth but when it's you know if it's a game that's got I'm i'm looking at this this is what 36 36 achievements, I don't think I'm the type of person that would want to go hunt through all of those things. And I'm also not the type of person that's like, all right, let me open up a guide that's going to show me, you know, step by step how to get all of these achievements done in four hours or whatever. Like, so that's the dichotomy of it. And it, like, I'm, gl- I'm glad you subverted my expectations because I definitely looked at this and went, oh, fuck Chase, another card game. Come on, buddy, give me <laughs> something else to work with. And the fact that it's more of a puzzle game and that it's it's just using the cards as the the pieces, the tokens, essentially the visual aspect of it. And you still have to manipulate those and utilize them in as you would in any type of simulation game, any type of, you know, Age of Empires or whatever. That's pretty cool. That's actually pretty neat. And I appreciate that subversion of expectations.
0: I do find it fascinating because I'm looking at the store page for the first time in a while And I started playing the game after the most recent update, the order and structure update as they uh, describe it, and there's a lot of stuff that I honestly do not know how I would have played the game without. Like, there are ways of automating certain resources um, and managing certain things, or even just, like, the combat updates uh, that apparently came out in November, like... This is a game where I'm genuinely not sure what it will look like a year from now. And I'm sure they're going to continue to make adjustments to it, and they're going to continue to have patches for it, and they'll continue to improve the initial experience. I, I I do think it's one of those things where I push through it, obviously, because I've played it for 20 hours now, and I'm going to probably finish it after we finish recording this podcast because I'm a crazy person and I'm close and I want to just beat the things because I feel like I can do it and it's within range and I can put something on on a second monitor and it'll all work out. But I also feel like people who get frustrated with this stuff, who feel like the complexity that is satisfying about it is hidden from them, Uh, in a way that turns them off, like I don't think they're wrong. I don't think people who get tired of this are incorrect for feeling that way. Um, I recommend Stacklands with several asterisks, which I know messes with the spreadsheet that we mentioned in Glass Onion's uh, final cut episode um, that I'll also link here for those of you who are kind of curious about tracking all of the uh games that we have discussed on the podcast and whether we recommended to them or not. Um and my answer simply comes down to are you the kind of person who when you hear, oh, you can make your life easier by going to a wiki on your second monitor and looking up these couple quests that are bugging you? Does that make you excited? because you can find a thing to research and delve into to improve your gameplay experience? Or do you find that frustrating because you feel like an alternative resource is necessary in order for you to get the most out of what the game is giving you if you don't want to play a constant guess and check? That's going to be the answer as to whether or not this game is worth it for you. I will also say the estimate of five to seven hours of playtime that this game gives you is fucking laughable. I have no idea how anyone is expected to finish this within five to seven hours of playtime. That is wild to me. I guess maybe before some of these expansions came out, maybe before these were there were all these different elements that now seem like a very base level part of the experience that clearly were not. Uh, originally, maybe that made sense then. I would absolutely expect this to be a 15-hour experience for people who are good at this, um, because the amount of depth that comes from trying to complete all of the challenges it gives you are are considerable. I, I mean, I've clearly played it for a long time, right? Like, something kept me coming back, and it's because once you figure these things out, It is satisfying to see how it all comes together. My main base of operations is a beautiful fucking machine at this point. It is fantastic how easily all of this stuff comes together to create so many resources that I can easily power my base and all the different things that my large group of villagers could possibly need. It's satisfying. It just makes me work harder for it than any other game that I've played on this podcast. And I don't know. That asterisk is important to me in terms of how I recommend this game to you at home. Well,
1: nearly 15,000 people on Steam agree with you that it's a good game. And it has a 96% overwhelmingly positive review on Steam, so... I don't know, maybe my frustrations while they may be you know, placed in the right, right place, maybe I have to look past them. Maybe there is something here that people are, are genuinely enjoying. And, you know, at, what, $5 uh, if it's not on sale? I mean, hey, that sounds like worth a shot, right?
0: I forgot how cheap this game is. For its price point, incredible value. Um, And you know what, Walter, we never do this, but I'm going to read you a review on Steam that I think perfectly encapsulates my opinion of this. Uh, This is from Winlander on Steam. And shout out to you for coming up with an actual poem for this. Uh, in Stacklands, the roguelike card game i rage and fume it's all the same the chickens come and mess up my piles leaving cards scattered for miles and miles i try to stack them neatly and true but the chickens just don't have a clue they peck and scratch and make a mess leaving my stacks in total distress i curse and shout and stamp my feet but the chickens just don't seem to cheat they keep coming one by one destroying all the work i've done but despite my rage and endless woes, I can't help but play this game, I suppose. For Stacklands is a strange delight, a roguelike card game that keeps me in the fight. So I'll keep playing Chicken Woes Be Damned and hope that someday I'll win or at least not be banned. For Stacklands is a game that I love even when the chickens come up from above. I love that. Um,
1: that is wonderful.
0: It's it's really good review. Uh, and I agree. Like, it's... It is a game that, despite whatever frustrations you may have, and there are reasonable things to be frustrated with that game, it's fun. And when it works, it really fucking works. But, you know, hopefully this podcast was fun for those of you listening at home. Uh, if you've played either Stacklands or uh, the Builder's Journey, uh, that LEGO game, we would love to hear your thoughts. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find
1: me at c underscore LOL. You guys can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod. As always, you can listen to the podcast on your uh, platform of choice. Uh, whether you just want to listen to Steam Cleaners on its own feed and Final Cut on its own feed, or whether you want to listen to them both on the same feed, uh, the Rough Drafts feed, We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Thank you all for for sticking with us over the course of the last year and a half. And here we are, you know, two weeks into 2023. I cannot wait to see where we go from here.
0: Absolutely. Uh, You can find me at Chase Wassenaar on Twitter. Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on on these games or any of the other games we've played. I I love uh, talking to those of you uh, who... Uh, end up enjoying the show so definitely uh, feel free to reach out and tell us if there's a game uh like these that you think we would love um always appreciate that uh we will be back in two weeks to talk about two completely different games but until then goodbye internet